Hello, Legends. Before we get into the episode, I just want to quickly tell you about a brand new show that I have just released. It's called Crime at Bedtime. And as the name suggests, it's been designed with those in mind who like to go to sleep at night listening to a fascinating true crime story. We'll release a brand new episode every single Monday, but right now there is a stack of episodes for you to binge straight away. So go check it out. It's called Crime at Bedtime. It's available wherever you get your podcasts from. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I need to talk to you about the next episode that's going out. So, um, okay, because this is this is why I had a stressful week last week. So I've been in and out of meetings with an American lawyer and, a, and an Australian lawyer. They said we're con- we're a bit concerned over one of these recordings. Um, okay. At- All right, tonight the end of a story we've been covering for months. Dee Dee Moore will spend the rest of her life in prison. I have a life sentence. Um, our in America, we have natural life sentences. So when you get 25 years, you get no parole here. So I'm in one of the states that doesn't offer parole. It's the bottom of the ninth, mm-hmm. and you've got two strikes, Dee Okay? The rest of his remaining money, once he cashed it out, he moved the million dollars over. He buried it on one of my properties. So you buried, you, you buried a million so dollars in cash. Was, out the back of one of your properties? Uh, well, over that. Over that, yeah. Hello, and welcome back to One Minute Remaining. I am Jack Lawrence, your host and the creator of this show. This is part four of my chat with Doreese Moore, the lady convicted of the murder of Abraham Lee Shakespeare, a crime she's always maintained she's innocent of. Now, as I say at the start of every episode, if you have not yet listened to the previous ones, you need to hop back and do that now. I also want to quickly take this opportunity to thank you all for listening to this show. It really does mean a lot and we really appreciate your support. If you would like to support the show, you can and it's absolutely free. All you need to do is hit that follow or subscribe button wherever you're listening to us. And each week when a new episode drops, You'll have it instantly on your device. You have one minute remaining. So in our previous episode, we followed from the moment of Abraham's body being discovered through to Doris's arrest, trial and eventual conviction. As we know, Doris has been fighting to clear her name for the past 12 years, trying desperately to get herself back in court to get her evidence heard. Doing this is certainly no easy task. As Doris has told us herself, it takes forever to work your way back through the system. But she's not doing it alone. She has the help of this lady. Uh, my name is Kimberly Boone. 
I'm like, go by Kim. And I have been incarcerated almost 14 years. I have 17 and a half left to go if I have to do my entire prison sentence. Kimberly Boone is what they call a prison law clerk, a lady serving her own sentence. She decided that she wanted to use her time to help others. Um, about six and a half years ago, I finally got into the law library. I've always been interested in helping others. I kind of got railroaded on my case. And when I got here, I realized that I wasn't the only one that got railroaded by the system. And, you know, I just had a fire in me that I wanted to help other individuals, even if I was not going to be able to help myself. And so that's kind of how I got into it. So Kim helps many inmates out with their cases. She's dealt with pretty much everything the American legal system has to throw at people. So I wanted to get her take on the system as a whole. Let's talk about the, this American system then because I think for someone obviously who's not in America like myself okay. and, and probably a lot of people who will be listening to this particular podcast and um, we've all seen, you know, the shows on Netflix and that sort of stuff which um, there's some very high-profile cases um, where you see the interrogation techniques of some of the American detectives and uh, and how, you know, evidence can be missed or it can be misconstrued. What's your take on, on the system? And especially, you know, in the case of Doris where she's got, you know, recordings that she says, you know, they're not listening to the full recordings, they're only listening to part of them and they're only listening to the bits that they want to hear. Um, what's your take on, on how the system right. how the system is works and, and where it's failing? What I found is that usually, you know, detectives will follow a line of evidence and then they look for the perpetrators based on that evidence. But what seems to be happening a lot of times is they already have an idea in their mind what they think happened and then evidence to prove their theory. It just seems like they get their mind focused on one person and and they don't go further into it. You know, I don't know if it's laziness or it just doesn't seem like they're interested in finding whom actually committed the crime as long as they can show, you know, they've caught the bad guy or whatever. Um, Mm. And then the problem is you take this information, um, you arrest somebody, and once you get in, in the system, you put them in front of a jury, you have a lot of people on the jury that are uneducated or they don't understand the law, or they don't understand that if we do find this person guilty, they're going to get this ungodly amount of time in prison. And so you're leaving these huge decisions in the hands of these people that are just laymen of the law, um, you know, and honestly who are in a hurry to get this trial over with because they need to go home and cook dinner for their kids, or, you know, they have something else to do on Friday night. Mm. Um, and then the problem is once you get um, once you get convicted and you take this back to court, the courts don't like to overturn a jury's decision <clears throat> because the entire American legal system and trials are built around you know the fact that we're letting a jury of our peers decide our guilt or innocence. And if you're if you're overturning decisions made by these jurists, you're saying the system doesn't work. And it doesn't work. We know that. So they're just interested in solving a crime than they are finding who actually did it. So you said that obviously with with your case, it made you um, want to help others um, within the facility to to fight their cases. When people come into to prison and you know they're they're talking to others with inside and they're saying you know um, my case is wrong, I'm here, I shouldn't be here. Do they say hey look that we've got a prison lawyer or we've got someone here who who knows the system to t- you can talk to? We're called law clerks, and, you know, we are generally just supposed to um, assist those inmates that, that can't 
do it themselves. And honestly, most people that come in here have no clue as to what the law is. They have no idea how to draft documents. So our job is to kind of walk them through the process, help them find the grounds, you know, help them find mistakes maybe that were made in their case. Um, and my job, I tell everybody, my job is not to get you out of prison. My job, though, is to try to get you back into court in front of the judge so that you have another opportunity. And that's kind of what we do. Um, and we're kind of like a, you know, you've heard of paralegals. Yes. So paralegals uh, have a little bit more, more knowledge in other types of law. They might have torts, but, you know, um, real estate, those types of things. But we focus on civil and criminal law here. We also help um, inmates who have uh, parenting issues, custody issues, things like that. But primarily it's their criminal case. So uh, are you, so when you say you know, it's our job in here, so is that something that the, the prison encourages, you know, people to go down that path and to help other prisoners or is it just you, you guys just do this off your own back? Well, they have to. It's, um, it's the law that they provide access to the courts for prisoners because, you know, a lot of people here are indigent. They don't have money for attorneys. So the law provides that for them. Like they have to offer a prison law library, sure. you know, because the person has to be able to continue working on their case while they're here. So I don't know that the, that they would encourage it. Otherwise, it seems like a lot of times they try to detour people from getting to their appointments, from get, being able to get to their uh, legal paperwork, things like that. They don't, honestly, they don't really care. They're just doing what they are supposed to do and what they have to do. Kim and many other inmates across America become law clerks, a way to help their fellow inmates get back in front of a judge with the hopes of getting one step closer to freedom. And one day, Doris called me with some news of her own. To accept this call, press zero. To refuse this call, this call is from a correction facility and is subject to monitoring and recording. Hello. Hello, how are you? Well, um, I have some really good news. Oh, great. Um, on July 18th, the judge signed a, a final order granting my evidentiary hearing. So what happens next? Well, um, this is how it goes. This is the order granting the evidentiary hearing. Um, what happens is August 18th, on tw- August 18th, 22, they will appoint me a public defender. I won't have to be there, so I shouldn't be shipped out from here. They'll appoint me a public defender. Once that happens... The public defender will contact me and then go over the case. They'll set up a status hearing to then we're going to actually set the date, the court date for the evidentiary hearing. So say my court date's in August and he calls me, they'll set it two to three months out. So it'll be somewhere in October, November. Mm-hmm. And then if we're not ready to go to the evidentiary hearing, he'll postpone it two more months. So it just keeps getting postponed two months at a time until we're ready. Right. Um, and that's how the system works here. When, when you say if we're not ready, wouldn't you be ready? Like, would you be ready to go? Well, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah. But it, he's got 150 cases. When you're dealing with a public defender, yeah. you don't have the luxury of a private attorney. If I could get a private attorney to take over my case now or I can get somebody to take it pro bono right now, I could be ready immediately mm. like once they appoint whoever within two months i would have the court date and be able to you know be out but it all depends because <laughs> he's got 150 cases so that's um what he's working with 
Does, does that worry you that your entire case and freedom de- depends on a public defender who's got so many other cases that he's dealing with? Absolutely. Absolutely, because the system is broken. Um, you know, it's so much better to have a private attorney. Well, look, it's a step in the right the direction. It's positive, at least. Itself. Right. And the thing is, is I really hope with, with all the evidence I have, I really hope that they would just be honest, you know, have some integrity. Mm. Um, and just do the right thing. So in good news for Doris, she looks set to get back in front of a judge. But what does this all mean? Here's Kim, the law clerk, to explain what could happen from here. Let's look at uh, Doris for the moment because I know she told me just a moment ago that she's um, she's got a, a date set um, for an evidentiary hearing uh, and she's saying that, um, you know, they, they've accepted two yeah. pieces of, of that evidence but they threw out another two pieces and she was saying what her frustration was, uh, in particular talking about the weapon um, that she handed over. Um, they're saying that uh, the judge was saying, well, she said this is the murder weapon and, and Doris is saying, I didn't say this is the murder weapon. I said, here, here's a weapon, give them this. Um, she's saying that there's no way of her rebutting um, that. It's a case of her defence gets to put forward, you know, this case and then the prosecution will say, well, no, this is the the case and then that's it. Right. The way an evidentiary hearing works is basically she's made a claim in her her, uh, motion and she's saying that the attorney erred because he did this or he did not do this. And so um, if there was no way for them to go through the court record and to negate what she said, then they have to hold an evidentiary hearing. Basically, it's where both sides present whatever evidence that they might, you know, be able to in order to prove the claim or refute the claim. And so, you know, she's going to be able to call pieces of evidence in there or witnesses in there should she need to to prove otherwise. And in her case, I don't believe that these officers and detectives knew about all these different recordings. So they made all these claims, you know, and provided that that she gets a decent attorney that's going to be able to say, hey, we need to continue this because there's a piece of evidence that will prove that these detectives are lying, then, you know, they should allow her to do so. So, I mean, and that's that's a key thing when you say if she can get a decent lawyer. She was telling me that she has a public defender who has 150 other cases that, he, <laughs> that he's dealing with. I mean, so um, there in itself lies a big issue. Yes, it is an issue because, you know, they are overworked and underpaid and they basically just get through as many cases as possible because they are so bogged down. Um, a lot of times, though, in, in a good thing about it is if she were to get her case reversed and remanded and sent back to the trial court, they don't want to put the money out to do another trial, so they'll usually come back with some type of a plea deal, which could be better. It could be time served, right, yeah. you know, something like that. But you know, even, even the public defender in those situations might be able to get something done like that. Uh, it's better if you have a paid attorney. You know, money yeah. money speaks. and Yeah. You, only, you, you get what you pay for, as they say. Absolutely, yeah. So, I mean, from your opinion, looking at uh, Doris's particular case, I mean, obviously, I suppose it's it's very hard to, to call it either way, but, I mean, do you feel positive that she will get that retrial or, or even, you know, potentially a judge turning around and saying, you know, I think there's a case here and, and the potential for a plea deal? Well, I feel like, you know, should she bring these recordings and I feel like there's no way that they can let a conviction stand when there's so much that will refute this this theory that they tried to spin to these jurors, mm. um, you know, because she's her case is so convoluted with drug dealers and yeah. paid off police officers, and 
I mean, there's so much that I think they're going to have to take another look, and they can't do that in an hour-long, you know, preliminary little hearing that they're going to have. I think they're going to have to open it back up and take a closer look when they, you know, when they see some of this evidence come out. Now, for me, hearing that there's a chance that Doris could find herself walking free with a plea bargain and time served was pretty massive news. Let's not forget this is a lady who's spent 12 years locked up away from her family, her mother, her son, her friends, and she may in fact have the opportunity to actually walk free and be with them once again. Which is why I was pretty stunned, to say the least, when I spoke to Doris about it. That was fascinating. (laughs) I told you... She's very educated. So. Yeah, yeah, no, very, very fascinating, very fascinating chat. So it was great to, to get her insights, yeah. and even her story itself is incredible. I mean, we yeah. we spoke very briefly about why why she's in in prison, uh, and that story is just mind yeah, well, blowing. blowing. There's very few people that claim they're innocent in here. There's a lot of people, like a lot of people I'm surrounded by are real people that murder people, and they have less time than we do. So I'm surrounded by like three or four of them that they've got 10 and 12 years apiece and they killed somebody and they have 10 and 12 years. So if you, you don't admit that you killed someone, you get a life in prison. But if you admit it, you can get 10 and 12 years. One exciting thing that, that I thought from my previous chat with, with your friend who's helping you, the law clerk, um, it was that she said that obviously if it goes, once you get to this evidentiary hearing, hearing, if the judge turns around and says, you know what, there's enough here for us to need to have a look at this again, the prosecution can could possibly decide that, you know what, this is going to cost too much money and take too much time. Uh, and then they could go with a plea bargain and, and give you maybe time served or something like that. So that's, that's positive. But, but I won't do that. I'm not taking a plea bargain. I'd rather be here till I die. I won't. Because then they're trying to force you. What that is, is you understand what a plea bargain is. They're forcing you to admit to something you didn't do. And that's not fair. If it's not completely underturned, I'd rather get all those audios out there Mm. and force them to do the right thing. That's not fair to me. Look, I mean, I, look, so I, I'm I, I, to. I, compl- I hear what you, I hear what you're saying, hundred percent. You don't like, I mean, I understand that I would never want to admit to to murdering someone if I hadn't killed someone. But I mean, when you're in that um, evidentiary hearing and they say, you know, there's a case here to be answered, and then if the prosecution was to turn around to you and say, look. This is going to take a lot of time, is going to take, you know, the rest of it. If they were to turn around to you and say, look, well, you can walk out of here today, forget everything, move on. All you got to do is just say, you know what, I did it. And you can walk out with time served. You still would turn around and say, no, I'm not saying that. I'll go back to prison. Thank you. Yep. Wow. I would. I sat here for 12 years. I'm not doing it. Look, it's, that is, that's, you no, know, look, you know, that's admirable. And, and you know, I, I just, I'm trying to put myself, I, it's very hard to put myself in your position, obviously, because I can't even begin to imagine the situation. But imagine, I'm t- imagine somebody locking you in your bathroom, okay, mm. for three years of your life while you fight for your life. They locked me in a confinement cell where I had no human contact, okay? I'm locked in a confinement cell for three years in county. Imagine somebody locking you in and just bringing your food three times a day. For three years, you have nothing to do Mm. but talk to concrete walls, and you have a public defender, and then you get him put in prison, okay? And you have no life. 
everything you ever loved has been taken away from you. It's not right. And if my case has to show that, then all, by all means, I want every video and audio and everything that I have to throw at them to show the public this is not right. So they'll stop doing this and stop allowing it to be done. We waste so much taxpayer money. They have a girl here. She has, oh my God, 12 years in prison or 10 years for a check charge, a check charge. And she costs the state over $40,000 a month to house because of her medical conditions. And her check charge was a $123 check. That's crazy yeah, that's about insane. our justice system. It's insane. And it something, someone needs to stop them and say, you know what? This system isn't working. Half of America is being arrested. Um, and all we do is if you come to Florida, you live on probation or you end up in prison. You know, it's not a state you want to come visit. It is an incredible situation, to say the least. And I keep trying to put myself in Teresa's shoes and trying to think what I would do. It's an interesting exercise. I mean, let's think about this for a moment. You have been convicted of a crime, a murder that you did not commit. No one from the authorities has ever believed you. The media has spun a story against you and you've been imprisoned for life without the possibility of parole. You've spent the last 12 years in prison trying to prove your innocence. You haven't seen family or friends other than in visitation rooms for an hour or so a week if you're lucky. All of a sudden, one day after years of fighting to get back into court, a judge agrees to a new evidentiary hearing based off the evidence you've brought. At that hearing, the judge agrees again that yes, there's evidence here that needs further investigation. In fact, this is going to take a long time. So the prosecution suddenly decide that in fact, this is going to take too long. It's going to be too lengthy a process and cost far too much money. So they come to you and say, look, to save us all the drama of months, possibly years of going back and forth through all of this and potentially a new trial, we're willing to offer you a plea bargain. You say you did it and we'll agree to time already served and you'll be free to go. Doris is saying that under no circumstances would she take that deal. She would rather die in prison than admit to the murder that she did not commit. Admirable? Absolutely. But could I make that decision? You're gambling the rest of your life, your freedom. Because there's nothing to say that should you go to a new trial, you will win. And if you lose, it's game over. Now, of course, if you do admit to it, you will forever have people believing you to be a murderer. You will always have people looking at you differently. Maybe people not even wanting to be around you because of the label that you carry. It is a really tough decision and one I find extremely hard to contemplate. Now, I'm sure there's people listening to this right now that would go, absolutely not, not in a million years would I agree to a murder if I did not commit it. And I'm sure there's other people on the other side of the fence saying, 100%, send me home to my family, I will tell you I did it, then I will worry about clearing my name once I'm out of here. But at the end of the day, thankfully, none of us are in that situation and hopefully never will be. So we're going to take a short break and when we come back, it's time to take a listen to Doris's recordings. 
the recordings that so far have never been heard before. Until now. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So far, over the past few episodes, we've heard a lot of claims from Derese. She's finally been given the opportunity to tell her side of the story, something that so far she's not been given the opportunity to do. Now, obviously, as the saying goes, it's her word against theirs. The detectives have some pretty solid evidence and some compelling audio that undoubtedly helped convict her of this crime. However, from the very start of my conversations with Derese, she told me she had her own recordings, recordings that had not been heard before. I have all the real story on tape because I I don't know if it was God or who was looking out for me, but for some reason in my heart, I told, you know, myself, I said, you know, I want to record everything. That Mm. way nobody can sue me for misrepresenting them. No one can sue me for a misquote. I wanted to record everything. Mm. So every time I did an interview or anything, I recorded it. So I have the real story on tape (laughs) of what really happened. So we need to talk about the recordings. And before we go through everything, I need to fill you in on what's been happening behind the scenes here the past week. Because I'll be honest, it's been a very stressful few days. As you know, Doresa sent me recordings. Recordings she was making the entire way through her ordeal. While the detectives were recording her, she was also doing her own recordings of other people. As part of these recordings, there are also video recordings, interviews that Doris was conducting as part of her research for the book she wanted to write about Abraham. Now, these are perfectly fine. People were knowingly and willingly being recorded and speaking about certain issues. These I can happily bring you, and a lot of these will help to back up what Doris has been telling us. The issue I have at this stage is with two of the recordings. Recordings that were made without people's knowledge. I've been advised by lawyers both here in Australia and in the US that for legal reasons, at this stage, I should not play these tapes. As much as this frustrates me, 
and I know it will frustrate Doris, I do have to take this advice. However, what I've been told I can do is bring you the contents of these conversations read by voice actors. I won't be naming the people in the conversations, but you will hear what they had to say to Doris. So I will give you plenty of notice when these recordings are going to be played in particular. With all that being said, let's go through everything. So let's start at the very beginning. Obviously, from the moment I spoke to Doris, she told me that Abraham had no money left. She claimed she was paying all of his bills. Remember this? He had a house payment. Um, They had took a loan on his house because he wanted to build his credit up. So he actually had a house payment of $6,000, which I have proof I ended up paying for him. So I have a tape recording of me and Abraham. We're in a vehicle, and he is talking to the people at the bank on the phone. So if you listen to the tape, I'm paying his finances. I'm paying his bills. I pay his house payment. I pay his electric payment. I pay everything because he doesn't have money. He's, his money's froze. He's only getting the cash that people will give him, pay back for the loans, but that's just money to run on. Well, as part of Teresa's videos, there is in fact one of her in a vehicle with Abraham and another lady who I won't name. Abraham and the lady driving the vehicle are both on phone calls while Doris films. Now, in this part I'm about to play you, you can hear Abraham is explaining to the person on the phone how Doris is helping him financially and Abraham plans to pay her back once all of his issues are sorted. Now I got to turn around every month and pay 1500 every month. And I didn't know I was a month behind, like a month behind. So even if I take $1,500 down there, I'm still a month behind. I didn't know that but until actually, okay. two days ago, yesterday. The later, the it's already taken care of. D, she ain't worrying about her money right now because believe me, I'm gonna pay her her money back. The minute I sell that damn house out there. So why is this important? Well, detectives claim that Doris was motivated by money and was attempting to steal everything Abraham had. Now, of course, this is certainly no proof of innocence, but it certainly does prove that Doris's claims about giving Abraham financial assistance is correct. So let's look at Doris's next claim. She says Abraham was loaning his money out to many people, including drug dealers. Um, he gave out large sums of money to be paid back in cash under the table. So he would loan, he loaned this one man a million dollars, but this man was paying him back $5,000 in cash under the table. That way, if he lost the lawsuit, he would still have money coming in. I see. So with these drug dealers, did Abraham use recreational drugs or was he just dealing with them by, with the, was it money situation or why was he dealing with drug dealers? Okay. He was just dealing with them. Um, he, he wasn't doing drugs himself. I had never seen him do drugs myself. So he, I think it was just for, um, you know, basically borrowing money because they could borrow large sums and pay him back. And he had the problem with he didn't want all his money in the bank because of the guy suing him that he stole the ticket from. Okay, so coming up, I have a phone conversation for you between Doris and an associate of Abraham's. 
a phone call that Doresa told me about in our conversations. I'm sitting there and trying to get their name out of this person that I'm on the phone with. And I ask them, I said, well, what's the other drug dealer's names that they were threatening them with? And I ask them why, you know, why are they doing this? And it's because they don't want him coming back after there was a guy that owed him money for a house and a truck that Abraham bought him. And Abraham was trying to get him to start making payments because Abraham was out of money. And he really was. And so he wanted some of his payments back that he gave out. And these people were threatening him. This is one of the conversations where the person on the call will be played by an actor. But I have left Doris's side of the conversation as it was. Who else? There's more? Yeah. Who? It don't even matter. If AB ain't told you how deep you got in this shit, it don't even matter. Yeah, but did he knowingly, knowingly help these people knowing they're drug dealers? Honestly. He knew they were drug dealers and he helped them. See, that's... Is it a big secret? Now, staying on this topic of these loans, the next piece of audio is Abraham and Doris going over names and amounts owed to Abraham. Well, they asked me why I'd want to buy your bad debts, and I told him I bought them from him because he can't collect anyways, and every time you try to collect, they threaten to kill you. So you're not ever going to get anything. And again, another piece of audio, a Derice filming with Abraham's ex-partner, Centoria, and Centoria telling Derice that Abraham loaned a particular gentleman a million dollars, and that gentleman kept coming back for more and more money. Now, I do need to point out that Centoria did state on the stand during Derice's trial that in this particular video, she claims Derice told her what to say. Have you seen him do stuff to other people out of spite, like that have taken his money? And no. People that done took his money, he don't even bother. He don't, he don't say nothing to him. How about, um, did he give a million dollars to somebody? To his God, Ed. And did that man come back for more money? Yeah, he done come back a whole bunch of times. And he done kept giving him money over and over. So as you can hear, there are plenty of people with outstanding loan amounts with Abraham. Next, we're going to look at the claim that Abraham was in fear of his life. Doris has been telling us from the start that he was concerned about his safety and how he may be set up to be robbed. He became a bank and it put his life in danger because people would threaten to kill him first, pay him back. You can hear in his conversations with me, this is happening to him. He's um, being threatened. He says, I'm afraid they're going to come after or going to come after me or set up or my house robbed. And that's all on tape. So here's the audio to back up Doris's claims, a conversation between her and Abraham, where Abraham certainly does say that he is concerned that he could have something done to him. Might set me up to be robbed. Might set the house up to get broken into. The cold, you know, where the camera's at. Oh, uh, might get it and pull up on Yeah, but wasn't saying that guy was threatening you the other night? Like the guy talking about? Like yeah. threatening to kill you or threatening to beat you up? Which way would you take that? To do something to me. To whoop my ass. Mm. But I ain't too hard to find because I ride <laughs> this neighborhood seven days a week. Anybody looking for me 
They know how my car look. That Ford 500, they know you either wait at Felton's, swing by Big Brother Store 60, ain't hard to find. So from that piece of audio, it is fair to say that Abraham seemed concerned about his safety and his well-being. Let's now look at the date of his disappearance. Detectives, as we know, say Abraham went missing on the 6th. But remember, Doris says that there is plenty of evidence that points to the fact that he was alive past this date. We had the concrete poured over the money. The money, the concrete was poured April 13th. He was not dead April 13th. Um, his his mother says she sees him just before Mother's Day. Mother's Day is not in April. It's in May, April 28th. He had a DNA test done to see if that was the father of his son. I mean, he was the father of the child. The problem is, is everybody that is anybody has tried to twist and manipulate the story. Well, what if the date was wrong? when the lab test was done? What if it was a false date? Or like the 2020 guy said, what if I made that paper up here? First of all, it was in my discovery. Second of all, it's a lab test. But the biggest thing is, Centoria admits in on record that Abraham told her the results of that test. That test wasn't even rendered or completed in the lab until May 20th. So there's no way a man that died supposedly April 6th could tell her the results of a test when the test wasn't even rendered till May 20th. As she states there, including a DNA test that he took to see if he was the father of Centuria's child. Again, here is audio from a video where Centuria says that Abraham found out he was in fact the father of her child. Again, I want to state... This is from the same video that Centoria claims she was told what to say by Derice. So he'd rather sit in jail than pay his child support? Yeah, he not had a blood test done because he had everybody under the impression and everybody had him under the impression that wasn't his baby. So he went and took his own blood test. He came back hills and he still ain't did nothing for that baby. So another claim by Derice that left me shocked when she told me was that Abraham wanted his money buried and in fact, they did bury money. And he told multiple people about it being buried. The rest of his remaining money, once he cashed it out, he moved the million dollars over. He buried it on one of my properties. So you buried, you, you buried a million so dollars in cash was, out the back of one of your properties? Uh, well, over that. Over that, yeah. The next piece of audio is Doreese and Abraham discussing the burying of money. Yeah, but she, the other thing too is though, like I said, when you brought up that money that you buried it, that just eat alive because then thinks some other person's enjoying that and he's not going to. Well, they talk about uh, digging, you know, uh, see, that's the open <coughs> field. Mm-hmm. There's dirt out there. Mm-hmm. You want to dig, you have to dig out there and dig. That's highly impossible. The, the tension pond, mm-hmm. dig up that there. You might find something. You know. To one of the biggest ones, in my opinion, all the way through our chats as well as when Doris is being interviewed by detectives, she says she was in fear of her life. She says that she had been told and in fact played audio that proved her life was in danger. So he's already given me the tape threatening my life that if I say anything, and we're not talking about just anybody, he's given me a tape 
where this drug dealer has talked about how he's going to get away with killing me if I say anything. The next conversation you're about to hear is a conversation played by actors. Just know I've heard the real piece of audio and this does exist. This conversation did take place. As I've said, I will not be naming the people in this conversation. Now, the conversation you're about to hear does involve a person's name. A person's name that I have removed, and he will be called, for the sake of this, Mike. Mike is a name that continues to pop up during conversations. What I can tell you about Mike is that, allegedly, Mike borrowed a million dollars from Abraham. Allegedly, Mike is involved in the drug business. What I can also tell you is that Mike is not Ronald, the name that Therese has been bringing up. I think, honestly, she better leave Mike alone or Mike. Mike and them, that mob shit, she better, she better leave him alone because if she don't, Mike gonna have something done to her. And see, I overheard it ain't the first time he done took care of motherfuckers in certain situations. And this is more of the same recording, again, played by actors, where they reiterate the fact that Therese will disappear if she does not leave Mike alone. I just know that if she can't notion to leave that man there alone, because that man, he'll have something done to her. I've been in the dope game and I know these motherfuckers, and when you go step on these motherfuckers' toes, you'll disappear. You'll disappear. It won't be long, you'll disappear. They don't care, they got no honor for death. Death is in their life. So now at this stage, you have pretty much everything that I've got. As I have said from the very beginning of this show, the idea is not to prove anyone's innocence or guilt. It's purely to allow them to tell their story. And this, so far, is Doris Moore's story. I speak with Doris on a weekly basis, so we will keep you up to date with the progress of her case and the new evidentiary hearing. I would like to take this opportunity to remind everybody that no wrongdoing has ever been found against anybody else in this particular case. This is Doris Moore's side of the story. If you would like to find out more or get involved and help Doris, you can do doresmoore.com. But what happens next? Well, remember our law clerk, Kimberly Boone? Hello, this is a prepaid call from Kimberly Boone, an inmate at a Florida Department of Corrections institution. What we don't know is how Kimberly Boone ended up in the situation she's in. And if you thought Doris Moore's story was crazy, you wait till you hear this. Major crimes came and they said, it's okay, your husband already told us that this was an accident. Yeah. And so uh, they said, just come down to the station and give us a statement. So that's what I did is I gave them a statement. And as soon as I told them what happened, they, they put me in cuffs and they arrested me for first degree premeditated attempted murder. They said, I never went back home. Next time on One Minute Remaining. One Minute Remaining is a Mash Pumpkin production. Hosted and produced by Jack Lawrence. Editing and sound design by Jack Lawrence and Dom Evans. This podcast is part of the Acast Creator Network. <laughs>